Um, let's go ahead and take the Bible and turn to Psalm 137, Psalm 137. And it was another great week around here with a lot of great progress. Um, I almost said we missed some of you, but that sounds real bad. <laughs> we missed all of you, and what I mean is I know a lot of people are traveling. It's great to see you back, <laughs> um, but it's been a great week here, and I hope you're rested. It's been a beautiful summer. Um, we got a chance. I don't know. You don't even have to leave the bay to be on vacation. It's beautiful here. We went down to Mere Woods, yeah, Mere Woods, and it was so crowded on like a Monday that we went. What's the beach a little further down? Oh, come on, talk to me. Stenson? Yeah, we went to Stenson Beach, I think. We'll go with that. Everyone said Stenson. Man, what a place, you guys. What a beautiful place that we live in the Bay Area here. Um, we went to Peru. No, we didn't. We went to Sausalito, but it's Peru. It's basically Peru. I mean, what a, what a great place. I'm so excited. I woke up so excited to be alive, and that doesn't mean my life is all together. It's kind of a wreck, but I'm excited about life and Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ and all that God is going to do in our lives. So let's dive into this, and let's have a great uh, 35 minutes of joy as we look in the Word of God. Psalm 137, you got it? Uh, there's a Bible in front of you, Psalm 137. You can look in the index. Don't worry, nobody will laugh at you. Psalm 137, just check the index. Uh, this is our last sermon, I think. I really wrestled with this. Something hit me last night. Just uh, the Lord and His Spirit about what to start teaching on next. So we're going to go ahead and uh, capture the Summer Psalms series right here with this last uh, last sermon in Psalm 137. We've covered tons of ground. I've got tons of feedback. And so thank you guys for being um, so receptive to God's word through this series. And I wanted to do a summer psalm series again because I am fighting for joy. I believe it is a gift from God. I believe God's people glorify God only as much as they enjoy God. And so I want to be a person full of joy. And that's hard. That's a hard thing to do in this world. And I, I still believe, and it's, I pray to God it doesn't end the older I get, I still believe, and I'm still fighting to believe, that life can still be lived like a song. Whether it's marriage or children or Mondays or bills or church, I still believe we can have great times and great joy through all of it. And if you've got something else to say, just don't rain on my parade. How's that? But when I read the word of God, there's pain, there's tragedy, but there's joy, there's renewal, there's hope, there's transformation. I believe in a world to come. I believe in a new earth. I believe in Revelation 21. But I believe it's breaking through now. I believe we can taste so much of this world to come now in a thousand small ways. I want to be able to look out my kitchen window. And see those crazy little birds who wake me up every morning on our phone line. Sitting there singing. I want to see it and breathe it and feel it. All of it. And so I'm going to need some help. We're going to need some help if we're going to live that way. And this is the aim of the gospel. This is the aim of Christianity. And if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're like, what are you people about? Don't you eat people? And it's like, no, we're, we're fairly normal people up in this thing. Um, Christianity works something like this. We have come to the realization, and this is what the Christian Bible teaches, that human beings are separated from God. That's the core problem in our world. We were made by God, and we were made for God. And you can say amen any moment. I'm just, I'm just going to, all right, I'm just testing you there. 
And uh, because people like me have been separated from God, that's how I spent my first 20 years, because of what Christians call sin. And that's not just some churchy word. It means we have all fallen short of God's perfect design for life. We, we, we make mistakes. We sin. And because God is full of love, but he's also full of justice, God is forced to break the relationship with humans and himself. Now, the problem with that is if we're made for God, and yet our relationship with God has been severed, think about that. Now humans are spiraling. We don't know how to live. We don't know how to think properly. And I'm not saying that to insult you if you're not a Christian. I'm saying think about it. Wrestle with that. I was raised not knowing the real design for marriage or the real design for money or the real design uh, for what a home should look like. I, I learned these things through the TV and, and through culture. And, and sure enough, I ended up in a world of pain. And so the whole aim of God is to send his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with this thing that Christians call sin. If we can get sin out of the way, then a human can come back into a relationship with God and begin to repair this thing we call life. So we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He died for my sins. He took all my wrong on himself and he paid the penalty for my sins. That's what the cross is all about. He rose from the dead as God. He ascended back to heaven and in a way built a bridge between this guy and God. I can now get back to God through Christ if I Call on the name of the Lord. If I call on Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and to save me, he will do that. And I think this mess of a man, the mess that I made of life, all of those sins could be covered by love and grace and what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus could say, now you have peace with God. No matter what goes crazy in your life, you can now be restored and not just know the love of a real father, but actually he as a father will retrain you in all aspects of life. He will teach you now. So, in other words, Christianity is awesome. And so the strategy of God is to save broken humans, and it all starts in the minds. Once we're saved, and so many Christians just stop at salvation. I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, I don't like this world, kind of that platonic dualism, this physical world is bad, I can't wait to fly out of here or something. That's not the design. The strategy of God is to save broken humans like us and then realign our thinking with his thinking so we can make things beautiful again. So God through his word and God through the community of the church, which I just love the church because it's just a bunch of broken people doing their best to learn the word of God and say, oh, that's how we're supposed to treat people. Oh, that's how we're supposed to be married. Oh, that's how we're supposed to be single. Oh, that's, that's how we're supposed to think about raising kids. And, oh, that's how I'm supposed to think about vocation and the arts and the movies and all of this stuff. We can learn together how to get our thoughts and God's thoughts and make them one through a long journey of learning the Word of God together and being together in community. You get that? So our fundamental job or calling as a church is to teach the Word of God and be in a community where we can share our thoughts and learn how to rethink in light of God's ways. 
He's realigning our thinking. And the amazing thing about the Bible is the more I read it, the more the Bible touches every aspect and issue of life. I mean, you will learn to live well. You will learn to die well. And what I want to learn is how to suffer well. Because one of the things that I'm struggling with is if God wants to retrain me on how to think about all things, the thing that I feel like my mind is still just way off on is how God views suffering. How am I supposed to think about my trials? When things just go haywire in my life, how am I supposed to process those things in light of God's ways? Because my mind immediately goes to the tank, man. When I start suffering, you know, my thoughts, they just run wild. And the problem is action has to follow thought. So if I enter some form of suffering and you enter some form of suffering or a trial and we think about it incorrectly, we're going to act upon it incorrectly too. So we have got to say, God, please renew our minds. Please teach us how to suffer. How do we think about not only what's going on in the world, but what's going on in our own homes, in our own minds? What's happened to us in our past and all, all the things that may come in the future? How do we view suffering? And all of this will be in your insert. How do we view suffering? And here's the big question that I want to try to deal with today. Does it have purpose? Fill that in. Does it have purpose? Does suffering have purpose? I do not, I do not speak on this subject as a foreigner. I know this land. And the hard part about being a Christian is we look for answers in our suffering and we naturally look to our culture. And one of the ways culture is supposed to help its members, which is us, is by helping us think through suffering. When, when catastrophic things happen, whether it's a, a shooting of a, a police officer or shooting of a race or just in general, just the hardship of life, unemployment or a marriage that is just not functioning correctly or just being trapped in your own mind. What type of answers are we receiving from our culture about how to deal with that suffering? And I think one of the problems is our culture is built around personal happiness. We are one of the only cultures that is primarily built around the idea that we are alive to experience personal happiness at its maximum, maximum level. And so psychologists, sociologists, they are now realizing that we are one of the weakest cultures in the world. Because most of the narratives in other cultures, whether it be Asia or Africa or South America, they understand that suffering happens, and so they have within those narratives purpose and reason for suffering. But here, as kind of a, uh, a humanistic um, culture that we live in, that is all about personal happiness, when things come crashing down, we're almost frozen. We've almost lost all explanation on how to explain or deal with suffering. And then, you guys, and then think about this. Throw God in. And because we can't reconcile God and suffering, if there is a God, why is this happening? And these are not easy questions. 
But because we're not getting good answers flooding into our culture, many people resist God when they suffer. And by the way, if you're even a Christian and you have, you have almost walked away from God, by his good grace, he holds on to you. The Bible is filled with people who have suffered greatly and come this close to walking away from God. God understands. Let me read a, a famous quote from a famous thinker in our day and time. If God is all-powerful, then he cannot be all-good. And if he is all-good, he cannot be all-powerful. You know who said those words? Oh, you guys, Lex Luthor. Batman versus Superman, right? Yeah, it's there, believe it. Uh, but this is a famous quote that has been passed down for generations and generations to kind of combat this idea that if there's a God, why is there suffering? And if God is good, then he would end the suffering. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want you to leave with some grip on suffering and an actual way to use it. And here's the staggering thought concerning God and suffering. If there is a God, there shouldn't be suffering. And yet, and yet, the message of Christianity is that Jesus suffered. And he suffered immensely, so an entirely new life can be opened up for all people to experience the joy of God, which should tell us right away that God is involved with suffering and good has to come out of suffering. If there was purpose in Christ's suffering, then there has to be purpose in all suffering. So I want to take you on a journey with a man that I have walked with next to a river all week. Psalm 137. And I'm going to give you two thoughts this morning. I want to look at the song of suffering, and it's so great that the Bible is so transparent and does not paint Christianity as some type, as some type of insulation from suffering, but it says, look, this is a very real thing, it's a, real, it's a very real part of our world, but they are very real and tangible answers. So let's look at two things this morning. Let's look at, one, the song of suffering, and then two, finding purpose in our pain. You ready? You guys ready? All right, let's do it. Psalm 137, we're only going to cover the first six verses. Let's read them real quick. By the waters of Babylon, now I want you to picture this man. I want you to picture his fraction family. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there, we hung up our lyres, our harps. For there our captors required of us a song. And our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Now, what in the world is going on when that song is written? Now, I don't know if you like country music, but if, if there was ever a beginning to country music, it's Psalm 137. This is the most depressing song I've ever read in the Bible. And then it kind of turns into hate rock at the end. It's, it, this is a really weird song. So what's going on? Why did this guy write this song? 
And what is it about? Well, if you take a little quick journey with me in Jeremiah 29, we see the context of the song. We see why it was written and kind of what's going on behind the song. Israel, God's people, walked away from God. They rejected God. And so God wanted to awaken them. He wanted to bring them back to himself for their joy, for their good. But they wouldn't listen, guys. They wouldn't listen. And because they wouldn't listen, like a good father, God says, then I'm going to awaken you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to light you up a little bit. Uh, I, I got to have a talk with you, and I'm going to speak through another nation. And they're going to come in, and they're going to actually capture you so you'll wake up to my goodness. And by the way, if you say, wow, that's a heavy God. God was so patient with his people. And they were destroying their own lives. I mean, God in his love said, I've got to deal with you. I've got to wake you and bring you back to my joy. So in Jeremiah 29, 4, you see what God does. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He's saying, I want to be your God. I want to love you. I want to bless you. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem, okay, to this, this, this nation called Babylon, Okay, they were, they were the superpower of the world at this time. And God used them just to come in and capture all of the, the Jews and, and drive them into a foreign land, into Babylon. And then in verse 5, he tells them, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. You're going to have to live in this land for a while until you understand how good I am. And then I want to bring you back. You're going to raise your families there. Verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. In other words, get comfortable. You're going to spend some generations here. And he even says in verse 7, I'm not, I'm not done using you just because I'm dealing with you. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. I want you to even do good to the Babylonian Empire. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray that I'll touch their hearts too. And maybe by you praying for your enemies, you'll awaken to my goodness. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. By praying for them and helping them, you'll realize how good I am, God says. And hopefully you'll turn back to me and let me bless you back. So during this exile, during this, this time that the Jewish people are stuck in this other country, and just think about that, guys. Think about if you were, you were dragged off like we hear on the news. And we're so blessed here in this country. Imagine if we were, we were dragged off into a foreign country. And uh, it, was, it was a different culture. It was, it was a race and a language and a, a culture that was foreign to us. And, and we would visualize what it was like to live back in the Bay Area. We would look at our homes that we were living in now in this other country as we were swept off. And it would just break our hearts. And we would talk about Giants games and, you know, the Bay Area crazy Sunday streets that were going on. And we would, vision, we would think about the church we had. Man, remember when we used to go to Bethel and... And man, remember those, remember those assembly meetings that were like so boring, but they were so good and, and church on Sunday and summers in the bay. Man, and look at us now. Oh, to go home. That's what's going on in Psalm 137. And friends, when you read the Bible, you got to get into the skin of these guys. That's what he writes in Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. So after maybe a hard day's labor, 
They would sneak off. They would, they would walk off. Maybe a, a father. I don't know who this guy is who wrote this. Maybe he's a dad. Maybe he's 43 years old and he's got a wife and he's got two sons. And maybe his mother-in-law is with him and, and she's sick. And they're stuck in this foreign land. And, and after a day's work, there's this quiet spot that he, he takes his family to. And they go and they sit down by the river. It's quiet there. Maybe even thinks about sneaking away. Maybe he's even visualizing. Maybe we can slide down like Moses down this river and get out of here. And it's like, well, the family's not strong enough. I can't. Maybe God will bring us back to our land if we just hold on a little bit longer. And, and maybe he looks at the, the river and the family's silent. You know how it is when you're suffering. They're all sitting on the, the river's edge and they're all silent. No one's talking. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe he's walking and pacing next to that river looking at his two boys and he's kicking a rock in the water and just thinking, oh, if that water, like God's grace, would watch over us and cleanse us and we could go back and, and just be, be washed back in our own lands. Oh, how it would be great. Maybe like me, he gets nervous uh, that he's not taking care of his family well enough and what are they thinking and, and uh, maybe, maybe he's a leader in the community and, and the other people are, are, are asking him, what are we going to do about this thing? But it was always by the river. That was the spot. That was the log that he would sit down on and, and the Babylonians would eventually come because the sun would be setting and, and they, would, they would tease and they would mock and they would say, oh, you got a harp, you got a guitar, you brought your guitar? No eye contact as this man would sit on a log, staring out into, into the slow-moving river. Play us one of your songs, one of your songs about God. Come on, play us, play us a song. Maybe the man stands up from the log and he takes that harp and he hangs it on a willow tree. And he sits back down as if that is his only word to these Babylonians how can I sing when I'm away from God and suffering like this? By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept and we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Let us hear about your God. And this is probably just the thought in the man's head as he gathers his family around on that log before that river. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Ever been there where things are so hard? You're like, go to church, sing. Are you serious? I just need time alone. It's a hard song. And the suffering begins to bring out the worst of emotions. He's growing bitter and angry. Because after all, it's probably not even his fault. It was the government over Israel that was pushing God away. Why am I suffering because of my government? Why am I suffering when I love my God? Begins to lose his cool in verse 8, doesn't he? Oh, daughter of Babylon, he begins to think, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. 
Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. You ever suffer, maybe not even because it's your fault, and you begin to think about people this way? Precatory Psalms. I'm so thankful that the Bible is transparent, that this man is losing his cool. The humanity that God allows us to see in these people. And here's the moment, guys. What will he do with the suffering? That's all that matters right now. He's either going to take eight, nine, and allow that to begin to shape his character and his heart, or he's going to figure out a way to find purpose in the suffering and allow it to shape his heart for God. How he chooses to think about his suffering is going to radically shape him, and that's what I'm so afraid of in my own life. I want to know how to deal with hard times so they don't harden my heart. I want to use them. And so I want to show you what I'm learning in my journey that is releasing me and bringing so much joy and hope back in my own life when I'm going through hard times. So let's look at the second point, finding purpose in the pain. Because somehow our songwriter, our psalmist, our country singer, sitting on that river, found a way to use this suffering for his own advantage and see God in it. And so let me say, first of all, and make sure you get this in your insert, there is nothing more important than injecting purpose and pain. I've got a small bit of my Elk Grove crew here. They're, they're rapping right now. It's, I can't tell you who they are because I'll embarrass them, but um, those, those who were a part of our Elk Grove church heard me say this over and over and over again. You have got to find purpose and pain. Because to suffer without purpose is suicide. It makes no sense. There's no way to endure. But if I can inject purpose into my pain, I can actually create endurance. <clears throat> because there's purpose in this, I can get through this. But man, if there's no purpose to the whole thing, that's when we, we walk so dangerously close to the line of Psalm 137, 8, 9, and, and we, we just hang on the edge of beginning to even question God. And we don't need to go there. There's greater victory. So there's nothing more important than injecting purpose and pain. And guys, this isn't the glad game. It doesn't mean suffering is good. It means that we can turn pieces of our suffering into tools to grow if we know how to look for purpose and pain. So I want you to watch what the psalmist does. Look at Psalm 137 and look at verse 5. And here's what you can write down in your insert. And I was so happy in light of some of the stuff my family's gone through lately, I was so happy to read this, study this, and begin to work this out afresh and anew in my own life. He takes his suffering and allows it to awaken himself to God. He takes something so bad, so brutal. He was drug off into a foreign land. He's, he's lost his rights. He's lost 
his freedom. He's lost his home. He's lost his country. He's lost the, the sweet places he used to walk and take his wife on dates and maybe even family died. He takes the whole ball of pain and he says, okay, I can allow this to do one of two things. This can either begin to shape my heart in a place of bitterness or I can use this and allow it to awaken my heart to God in new, fresh, and deep ways. Psalm 137, verse 5. In the middle of all of this pain, as he sits down on that river and he hears the taunting of the Babylonians, why don't you sing for us? There's no point in your suffering. Your your God is nowhere to be found. And then in verse 5, this amazing thing comes out. And it's almost as if he's sitting on that log with his family close, with his back turned to these Babylonians, and he says this to himself. He finds a way to hope. He finds a way to encourage himself in the Lord. He says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, and let me just just help you with that. If I forget you, O God, Jerusalem being the the city of God, the presence of God was in the temple. Let's just say it this way. God, I'm not going to forget you. If I forget you, let my right hand forget its skill. I'll never sing again if it's not to the Lord in joy. In other words, I'm going to find joy in this, in my, in my God. I don't know how yet, but I'm going to. And he says in verse 6, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. Let me never sing again if I do not remember you. Now watch this. You can miss it if you blink. If I do not set Jerusalem, if I do not set God above my highest joy. Let me tell you what just happened right there on that river. He just said, I am going to allow this horrendous situation to awaken my heart to anything that I have allowed to supersede my love for God. I, I want to find my love for God again. And man, this is really hard to say. But if it takes the worst pain to get me back to the most amazing joy, this guy sitting by our river says, by the grace of God, I'm going to do it. God, if I am here because anything has got in the way of my highest joy, which is you, then like a loving father, Teach me. That's pretty powerful. And here's why suffering allows the heart to be reawakened to God. This is why suffering allows us to go deeper with God. And it's like, it's not the only way. Goodness, I have have been blessed so radically at times that I have gone incredibly deep with God. But I'm I'm a hard-hearted human. Sometimes God's got to awaken my stubborn heart through crazy things. And suffering's a crazy thing because in those moments, we are incredibly sensitive to contemplate the things of life and what truly matters. I am most aware of God and most joyous in God. Oddly enough, and this is just me, Not when I'm being blessed, but when he's almost all that I have left. 
Okay, if one of us claps, we all clap. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's always going to be like this with God. He's like, you know, I want you to enjoy me. Bam. It's, I'm not saying that. There are times when I could walk, we walked by the ocean again, and we saw humpback whales coming out of the water. And I mean, I'm like crying. You know, I'm like, man, God, you're amazing. But I'm telling you, if you're like me, human, Forget God and and the the amazingness of who he is. I don't go deep with him. But man, when things are are beginning to slide and this world crashes on me or someone hurts me, and man, it's like, oh God, you're all I got right now. Man, it's intense worship. And it's in these moments that God invades our suffering. I love that. He just says, okay, you're getting rocked down there. I am just going to invade your suffering stories. And I'm going to find a way to speak to your heart about me and all of my goodness. And you're going to get me at a new level. C.S. Lewis, you know I got to do it. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. Speaks in our consciences. But shouts in our pains. And it's because in suffering, God makes his most precious self-revelations. Because we're, we're ready to hear him, aren't we? We're ready to hear him. Like, man, there's, I've never experienced grace. I've never experienced the faithfulness of God. I've never experienced prayer. I've never experienced the joy of the body of Christ. Like when I am so ready for it because I've got nothing left. Only when we are absolutely desperate can grace, comfort, love, trust come alive in new ways. And that's what he's saying in verse 6. God, if this has caused me to relook at anything that's in the way of you, if this has caused these things to be taken out of the way. I know you don't want to hurt me and harm me, but now you're diving in and awakening the greatest joy, my highest joy in you, then I got to find that purpose in the suffering. God, it's got to be you. How much time do we have? How long do we want our assembly meeting? (laughs) 10 minutes. Okay, let's go to 2 Corinthians 12. You got to hurry though. I want to show you this. And I just want someone to walk out of this place feeling so strong in their suffering that I am going to go find God in in brand new ways because he may be all I got right now, but he's all I need and I'm going to get him in new ways and new power. 2 Corinthians 12, this is our guy, Paul, and these verses are often quoted, but we get them wrong, I think, so often. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 So to keep me from becoming conceited, this is Paul, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So he's like, God is giving me so much insight into his his kingdom and mission and mind that I'm going to get complacent. That's why why blessing is so weird. It, It sometimes backfires on us. And so a thorn was given to me. Oh, let me help you with that. A stake Stuck me to the ground. God 
stuck Paul's feet to the ground through suffering. And what was that stake? Eyesight. No, no, no. A messenger is right there. A messenger of Satan to harass me. It was some guy who followed him around. I've got a couple. These are, this is a demon-possessed messenger of Satan. This is a demon-possessed person who, who has made it a ministry to haunt Paul. To keep him from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Lord, take this away. But here's the, here's, the, here's the prayer from God's view. Lord, take away the suffering that's bringing me so deep with you. And God's like, Paul, I'm kind of in a little fix right there. Verse 9, but he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We love it. It's on the bumper sticker. Let me show you what it really means. You're saying, Paul, because you don't have the answers because you're suffering, you don't have the strength because you're suffering, you don't have the friends because you're suffering, you are experiencing me because you're in weakness, falling at my feet, spending immense time with me, deep prayer, you're understanding my love and the fact that I alone have the goodness and greatness to sustain and satisfy every aspect of your humanity. If I take the suffering away, you won't come to me the same way. Man, that's hard. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will look at my suffering and say, those are the very tools that make me a deep, deep worshiper. And I am experiencing God in new and hard and heartbreaking yet powerful ways. Therefore, this suffering has immense purpose in my life. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am suffering, I have to stay at the feet of God, and he's growing me immensely through deeper worship. That is so hard. Maybe you're saying, but why would God even allow it? Isn't there a better way? Well, I'm still talking to God about that. I'm, I'm trying to get like this in the blessing so he doesn't have to do this in the suffering. But maybe you're here and you're like, I get what you're saying, but I still don't get why God would even allow it. Now, let me just leave you with this, last, last part of your insert, because suffering alone can open certain places in the heart. I'm convinced of it in my own life. And that is what Job says in the way of a summation. After all of these trials, as he's trying to figure out why, he says the most staggering thing, you just, you just write it down, Psalm 40, uh, Job 42, verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Oh, I heard the sermons. I read about you, God. I heard people talk about you. I talked to people about you. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But through this suffering, now my eye sees you. I've gone to a new place with you. So I say there, there is, as hard as the lesson is, and that's why you better be suffering in community. There is purpose in pain. And Tim Keller says these words, and 
And I'll stop with this. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. I take the words of John Piper. Friends, don't waste your suffering. 